Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting, and my very special guest is Haya Camps from TechCrunch. Welcome, Hello. Haya. Hey, how are you? So, I'm doing great. Haya and I met probably about a year and a half ago. We were working with one of his startups, and he ended up uh, kind of going in a different direction, ended up at TechCrunch. Do you want to give the folks your quick background? Yeah, sure. So basically what I ended up doing was I did a journalism degree, which was a complete and utter waste of time. I swore <laughs> to never work in journalism ever again. Uh, and of course, the first thing I do after I come out of journalism is realizing I can't make any money doing photography, so I become a journalist. And I've kind of been bouncing between startups and uh, journalism in some form or other ever since. Uh, worked at a TV station for a while, worked for a gadget magazine for a while, and kind of kept just bouncing around and, and figuring out what happened. At some point, I was working on a book on kind of building your own photography equipment and kind of started my own company by accident. Um, I built this uh, photography trigger that triggers a camera based on a laser beam. So when the laser beam is broken, it takes a photo. Oh my God, that's cool. Uh, yeah, and I did that as a Kickstarter project. And the whole time, I mean, this is how ridiculously naive I was. The whole time, I never even started my own company for it. I just kind of, you know, I thought, oh, I'll do this for six months. I'll chuck out this product and then I'll go back to writing books. Yeah. But it turns out that, you know, as soon as you start manufacturing something, you need support, you need operations, you need logistics, you need all this kind of stuff. And it never even occurred to me. I'd never run a business before. I had no idea what I was doing whatsoever. Luckily, I got some good advice early on. The Kickstarter uh, project was a success. And I, I thought, oh, actually, I'm going to have to start a company now. <laughs> so I started a company and it was a lot of learning on the job and stuff. Yeah. And we made some ridiculous mistake. Looking back now, I'm like, okay what the hell am I doing giving anybody advice about startups? It's kind of the beauty of the Kickstarter stuff, though, is that people who maybe didn't think they were going to start a company end up doing it. And of course, there is like that learning on the job, but it's it's it sucks people in. It's really cool. Well, it's definitely a blessing and a curse there. I mean, yeah. I would have done literally everything differently. Uh, but at the same time, if I knew what I was in for, I wouldn't have done it. So there's the whole kind of dichotomy there. Um, but that startup actually is still running. It's uh, four and a half years later. It's called oh. Trigger Trap. And we have something like 150,000 customers all around the world. Are you kidding me? No, That's it's, amazing. It's really good fun. Uh, you know, it's available on Amazon and all that kind of stuff. But there was a couple of other interesting things that happened, including uh, I'm at my Bonnie last wife. In fact, today is our fourth anniversary, which Congratulations. is Congratulations. And I hear you have some sort of a pre-versary happening. I, we, got, <laughs> we got married uh, 10 days ago or 12 right. days ago. Right. Yeah, well, yeah, you yeah, got yeah. your 12-day anniversary, yeah, right? Yeah. That's pretty exciting. <laughs> Right. So, um, but yeah, so my wife is from here in the US and uh, her mom got quite sick. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, which is which is a shame. But the, the bright side in all of this is that her mom didn't live in Alaska, I suppose. And as a massive startup nerd, there are worse places to be than yeah. San Francisco. Yeah. So we moved here about 18 months ago and um, a friend of mine needed some help with the startup. And that's how I ended up uh, on your desk, as yep. it were, yeah. um, to kind of figure out how to navigate the the u.s legal and financial side yeah. of things because i mean i had i now had a lot of experience with my startup in the uk but the laws here are very very different it's totally different and yeah. uh yeah it was it was very good to uh to end up in some good hands and get some good advice there thank you yeah and then after a while uh i decided that that particular startup wasn't for me um so i i did what i can to kind of do my temporary ceo thing and then handed it back and um, it was funny, actually, before we moved to the US, my wife said, well, you know what, you should just not take a job for a while. You should just float around in Silicon Valley and kind of figure out what's what and, you know, have a lot of conversations. And 
So she moved out two months before I did. And at some point I called her and I was like, hey, Zaya, I, I, I've taken a job. She goes, what did we say? What did I say? First of all, this is like a total reverse of how these conversations usually like normally your your spouse, man or woman, is telling the other one to get a job. So you have a very understanding wife there. And then now you're, you didn't even have to get a job, but you took one anyways. So this, this is amazing. Yeah. My wife, I think she knew I was a little bit burnt out because the last startup, I mean, doing startup, doing any it's startup hard. is it's incredibly so hard. hard. Yeah. And it's, it's physically and mentally, it's draining. Um, but then there was a new shiny, shiny, you know, and it's very hard to say no when somebody comes along and says, hey, do you want to be the CEO of our startup? Yeah. Um, especially because it was a pretty good friend and I really thought I could add something and... You know, time will tell. History will tell. I hope I was able to do some good. Yeah. But ultimately, I kind of went back to my original plan, which was I was going to buy a car and drive an Uber. And the idea was to just meet lots of startup people and have the same conversations again and again yeah. and again and kind of try and pick people's brains. And I figured an Uber's ride worth is a really good time, kind of like this podcast, actually, yeah. to have like 20, 30 minutes to talk business, uh, pick somebody's brain about business models, about what kind of industry they're in and and my idea was to let luck do its thing and find an interesting job that way. Yeah. That's super cool, by the way. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I thought it was a cool idea. Yeah. Uh, that never happened because when I kind of got around to buying a car, it turns out I bought a two-seater, which is a dumb <laughs> idea. And of course, I look at my wife and go, well, I can't drive an Uber in this. And she goes, well, you were never going to do that anyway. Uh, I was like, yeah, I was. Um, but she kind of pointed out that, well, you do have some writing skills. Maybe you should try and reach out to some of the tech publications. Yeah. So I emailed the editor at TechCrunch and I say, hey, so do you have any internships? And uh, very long story short, the answer was, no, we don't. But how about you come work for us instead? And uh, so, yeah, since about February, so that's almost were, a year now were you did you apply for the internship because you were like didn't want didn't want to get paid or what what was kind of the was well, it just not, lower pressure kind of situation or what I'm was it crazy enough to not want to <laughs> yeah, get paid uh, uh, um, but I figured you're a highly like, qualified person it's interesting that you would ask for the internship terms, it's a long time since I've done any journalism yeah, and yeah. I mean I'm always writing I mean yeah. stopping me from writing is impossible but I figured well honestly TechCrunch is, is kind of the top of the of the tech journalism yeah, pile yeah and i figured it would be kind of presumptuous of me to jump in as a as a working journalist yeah. i mean i've now i'm now about 250 stories in so I'm, i've got my feet in the that's table in less than a year right how yeah. long is that a year that's yeah. almost one of, uh, that's insane yeah wow good so for you that's been fun and that's been a part-time job and they're getting their money's worth if you've written almost a story every single day they're probably very yeah, happy I hope, I hope they're happy yeah. I haven't asked them for a while but <laughs> I haven't been fired yet so let's let's call that a success uh, um, so that's about half of my time um, I've just finished two books one on uh, photography it's oh. another like photography tips book and one that was actually ghost written for a uh, VC down in the valley uh, it's like the, the concept is imagine the first two or three weeks of a startup accelerator uh, but in book form. So all the bits you really need to know about uh, the mindset, how you raise funding, how you get yourself into an accelerator, all that sort of stuff. That's really smart. That's awesome. So that's been really good fun. And I say that with some reservations in that I am not sure I knew what I was getting myself into. Yeah. And I mean, I can turn out photography books day and night. I mean, that's I've done, I think I've done 12 or 13 books now, which is easy. Uh, do you do like the Amazon self-publish or what do you do? How I've do got you publishers? So oh, they, oh, so you get publishers? You just work with yeah, them. Yeah, they come to me and I pitched my first couple of books. I pitched, and from then they were like, "Oh, we need somebody to write a book about blah." Yeah, and then 
I say, yeah, sure, I can do that. And then we, we work together on putting together a, um, a table of contents. And then they go, cool, go and write it. Yeah. And then I write up the books and then the manuscript, go back and forth with editors a few times and then it's done. Um, so that's normally about a three to six month process for a book. And this other book was, was very different. I mean, some of this stuff I could write up in my sleep. Um, crowdfunding is kind of one of my main beats at TechCrunch. Yeah. I can write about that with great confidence. Um, but there were other bits. I mean, there was there was a, a chapter on selling, and it turns out I know absolutely sweet FA about selling. Interesting, because you've done it. Because I feel like a Kickstarter and some of that stuff is the selling is required in that, like embedded in your pitch, right? Like, yeah. Talk, talk maybe explain what you learned about selling writing this book. Like that would be interesting. Yeah, I think. Well, actually, to kind of do it backwards is I feel that Kickstarter and all crowdfunding campaigns are kind of a, a marketing channel. But you know, it doesn't ha- it doesn't help to have a marketing channel unless you also have a a way of actually reaching your audience. Yeah. I mean, uh, PR and press releases is a marketing channel, but unless you're able to actually get it in the right hands and get people to write about it, you can write all the press releases you want. Um, Same with Kickstarter. You can do a Kickstarter, but no one pays attention. Right. You know, I mean, tree in the forest. And a lot of, of the times that happens. Yeah. You know, especially now, I get because I'm one of the main writers about uh, crowdfunding campaigns. Um, I get so many campaigns and the vast majority of them I have very little faith yeah. in. And that isn't because they're bad campaigns, but it's just because, you know, sometimes I get emails that say stuff like, oh, we're not doing so well. Could you please write about it so we'll do well? It's like, well, not really, because yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. a new story yeah, for us. Yeah, yeah. So I think the main thing I learned about selling is that it's really, really hard work. Yeah. And I like to think of myself as an incredibly lazy person at heart. <laughs> And I just cannot, I cannot do cold sales. I cannot. I've tried many times, pick up the phone, call people up, and I just feel like a horrible person. I think it's because you're a good relationship person. And so you value, so conversely, you know, probably once you actually knew someone, you'd be a really amazing salesperson because you're really good at developing a relationship and building a relationship. But maybe it's just that first little kind of cold call is hard to do for you. I think so. I think so. And the thing is, I'm, I mean, I'm an introvert at heart. Which means, I mean, the traditional uh, definition of an introvert is somebody who gains energy from being by themselves, yeah, right? Yeah. And that's definitely me. I'm very happy sitting in a corner reading a book and then I'm happy to go out and meet people. Yeah. But if I'm in a group of like 10, 15 people, I just don't know what to do with myself. And I think that makes networking very hard. And that means this kind of sales process is very, very hard. In a one-to-one interview, I'll shine. I'll, yeah. I'll get the information I want out of someone yeah. to do an article or... And it turns out there's actually a lot of uh, similarities between selling and interviewing, you know? There oh, is yeah. getting information out of people and then letting them speak. Yes. Um, and I think that was the main thing. I did a lot of reading to write this book. I did a lot of reading on, you know, how to sell. And it turns out, wait a minute, everything they say about selling is also true for interviewing people. Is you ask a question, you listen very carefully to what people say, and then you take action based on yeah, that. If yeah. you spend half the time talking, you're doing it wrong, basically. That is so, so true. And how's that? Were the incubator guys like pretty, or whoever you're working on this book, I, I never thought about selling being such an integral part of an incubator, but I guess it is, right? Because that's you're there to learn how to polish yourself and sell to investors eventually. Is that kind of the well, idea? Well, I think it's the scale of proving traction, right? Uh-huh. For any startup, uh, it's traction above everything. I mean, you can have a, a ridiculously terrible sounding idea, a terrible name, a rubbish product. But if people are flocking you to buy the yeah. product, the investors will ignore everything yeah. else you say. If you say, okay, we've been around for two months, for two years, and we've been growing 15% week on week, 
it doesn't matter what you're selling. The investor will take your meeting. Totally. Right? And I think that's kind of the, the thing. And the, there's several ways of doing that. If you manage to build a viral product, for sure, you know, that's great. But if you have some sort of gold star magic fingers sales guy who can sell snow cones to Eskimos, then it doesn't really matter what the product is. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the part of the selling that is very important to any startup, right? And it's the kind of the strategy behind what do you need to prove if you have to prove traction, which you yeah. do, then you can do it via marketing, you can do it via sales, you can do it any channel you like. But sales is often a very important part of yeah. that uh, media mix. Yeah. And I actually, just to build on that, I totally agree. And a lot of my friends are really good salespeople. And I think that's something that a lot of startups don't quite understand and, and devalue. Or, you know, they think that the, the build a better product and everyone will flock to this. But actually especially in the enterprise, like salespeople make the world go around. Like, yeah. and what they're, what they're really doing. I love reading, uh, Jason Lemkin, the Saster guy, cause he's a, he's a natural salesperson and he's got all these hacks. And he's, what he always explains is like a good salesperson is really just kind of lubricating the wheels there. It's, it's giving the customer what they need, helping them through the buying process is how to think of a good salesperson, not someone who's just going to cold call like crazy or throw spaghetti against the wall. They're yeah. actually lubricating the process, which I, I was like, yeah, for sure. I mean, a great salesperson can't save a rubbish product. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. But the other the other way around is is true. You know, if yeah. you have a pretty good product that solves a really a real problem that that adds value, yeah, then you don't actually need the product doesn't have to be the best product in the world. It just has to solve the specific problem yeah. in a very good way. Yeah. And then you need somebody who can go and sell that like yeah. crazy. Yeah. And, and, and that can take you to the moon. So you've been working on, you've been working on this book and you, when does it come out? Like when's, when's the release sometime early next year. Um, so I'm NDA to the eyeballs. Can't ah. really talk about it that much. Um, but it's been a very interesting process yeah. and it's been, it's been phenomenal fun to, to kind of experience what, Silicon Valley looks like and it's been you know interesting to have a pretty high profile VC pick up the phone for me every week yeah so we've had some really good conversations and it turns out that a lot of the time the conversations aren't even really about the book it's about just kind of pumping him for anecdotes and ideas which of course is good for me because yeah. I, I, I get to understand a little bit more about how he thinks about the choice to invest and all that kind of yep, stuff yep. but also just to kind of doing what I have been doing, which is, as I told you in the beginning, have lots of conversations yeah. and see where, see where that kind of uh, journey takes me. Yeah. That's cool. You, I, I think it was really smart of you, whether it was you were tired and just needed to re-energize or you just want to get back in journal. Like you have written a ton of articles and actually one of the reasons I want to have you on the podcast was you wrote this article about how to get your startup covered. And I actually look, I read it a couple of different times. And I was like, Oh my God. And then there's like the most amazing checklist of all time in there, which I have right next to me. Do you want to go? What, how did, the, how did you get the germ for the, this idea? And I have a I, reading your article is really funny. You're talking about sometimes journalists are lazy. Sometimes you just don't want to make it easy for people, but like what caused you to write this article and maybe just kind of get into it a little bit. So I've through the course of my own startup life, I ended up, very early on advising quite a few people on startups. I was lecturing at some universities for a while. Um, and at some point, people started coming to me and saying, hey, so you managed to do two very successful Kickstarter projects. How did that happen? Well, you know, what is the magic source? And I was like, well, there is no magic source. It's just about, you know, I, because of the books, because of the blog I was running, because of all the things I was doing in the photography space, I was a relatively well-known person in that space. Mm -hmm. And so people trusted me 
and listened to me and read what I was writing. And I knew a lot of the journalists in that space. So when I launched a photography product, I was able to... It was actually kind of funny. I went to all my old colleagues and I was like, have you heard about this crazy journalist who's trying to do a Kickstarter project? Isn't he, isn't he some sort of an idiot? And then we laughed a little bit together and then I was like, right, it's me. Now yeah. write my damn story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, which that worked, is a great hook, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which worked really well. But then when I kind of uh, started writing a lot more again for, for TechCrunch, I realized that I think at least 80% of the press releases I get sent or the approaches I get taken have massive gaps in them. Yeah. And I realize, you know, as a startup founder, it's not your job to write press releases. And you probably can't afford a PR agency, but you don't really need it. You don't really need to be a good writer either. What you do need to do is to be able to tell your story. And at the heart of it, pretty much everything you do with a startup is storytelling, yeah. right? Whether you're pitching to a investor, whether you're telling your story through finance, whether you are writing copy for your website or writing text for your... I mean, of course, I'm terribly biased as a writer, but I think writing is one of the superpowers you will have as a startup person. Yeah. And so I, I kind of... I sat down and thought about this for a little bit. I was like, look, so anybody who has a vaguely successful startup got there by somehow convincing somebody that they're doing a good yeah. thing. Right? And by the way, it, it doesn't come like day one. You figure it out. You whittle your story down. Oh, you get sure. a super focus. You figure out what works. And then you start telling your story over and over again. Yeah. I feel like as a startup person, you're always pitching, right? Uh, the very first day before you even start your startup, you're trying to explain to your parents while you're leaving that fancy job <laughs> totally. and uh, <laughs> going to earn nothing for 18 months. Or... You're convincing your co-founder to join you, or you're convincing your first staff member or somebody to invest or your bank manager to let you open a bank account or, you know, you're constantly pitching. Yeah. That's like your, that's your base existence. You're pitching your first customers. You right. have to get them to buy in. Yeah. You're yeah. making sales, you're making, but yeah. essentially you're doing two things. You're pitching and you're telling stories. Yeah. Um, and so by the time somebody sends out a press release, I think you're already really good at telling your story. And so the, the disconnect I found was that, per definition, these guys are good at telling their story, but somehow they're not able to tell the story in a way that journalist needs. And so I started collecting some bullet points, yep. uh, kind of just on a little pad next to my next to my desk. And for every single email I received, I would put like a little mark, like uh, missing pictures or uh, got my name wrong or really stupid stuff. And my initial idea was to just create a pie chart of what were the most common mistakes. Oh, that's, yeah. yeah. Um, but eventually I realized, you know what, I can either take the piss out of people, which I do gladly, <laughs> or I can actually try and be helpful. And I decided to uh, pick option B. And so um, spent quite a lot of time writing up this, this article, which was basically a, uh, the idea was to do like a, a, a PR course in a box. Yep. Um, I think it's about 3,000, 4,000 words long now, and I've added to it many times since with some good examples, some bad examples, all that kind of stuff. And it's on Medium, by the way. Everyone can find it. Just yeah. just search, search Haya Camps and you'll find it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah no, and it's it's the pinned post on my Twitter account. And if you ever send me an email, it'll be in my signature. Just There's no that. way you're going to miss this. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it saves me a lot of time. I mean, it's entirely selfish. If if somebody follows every single tip in that press release, it doesn't mean you're guaranteed to get covered, but there's definitely, I will be a lot less frustrated with yeah. you. I want to talk about that a little bit more, but 
it's selfish maybe that's but you're also being very generous because what you're because you've done startups you mm-hmm. know how frustrating it is and this is like these people want to tell their story correctly they just don't know how to and i think that's really cool that you took the time and and have the generosity to actually put this together to yeah. really help guide these people it's really cool I, you're being very modest but i just want to kind of call it out because that's that's i'm british enough that i come, I come <laughs> you can't talk about yourself in a yeah. positive way talk, talk, talk to me in five years when i've been in california for a while um no, but I think there was an interesting thing, actually. I did a, a Goldman Sachs like startup course um, or kind of a bit small business course uh, a while ago uh, called 10,000 Small Businesses. It was absolutely phenomenal. And that was the spark. I did that like three years into Trigger Trap. And that was the spark that made me realize that I knew very little about running a company. And it was very transformative from there on to actually put some structure into how you run a business. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute. Running a business is a set of technical skills that you need to have. I don't have those skills. I'm going to go out and, learn and teach them mm-hmm. to myself. Mm-hmm. And one of the exercises they had was a little bit macabre, but they were basically like, okay, imagine your gravestone. What does it say? And I was like, wow, that's uh, something to throw yeah. at you at like yeah. 9.30 on a Monday morning <laughs> before you had any coffee. But I had a bit of a think and I thought, you know what, if my entire life was kind of summarized, I'm getting a bit deep here, but <laughs> it's okay, keep going. This is good. This is really if good stuff. If my entire life is summarized as um, uh, learn and teach, I would be happy. That's cool. And so I've kind of, uh, with the books that make sense, with the blogging that makes sense, with a lot of the stuff I'm doing, I mean, with, with TechCrunch, a lot of the articles I'm writing are part news, but I also like to inject a load of opinion in yeah. there. Yeah. That's Which, what people want. The people want that, by the way, when well, they read I, article. I hope so. I mean, TechCrunch is fantastic. You can basically do whatever the hell you want within certain limits, but yeah. you have a lot of wiggle room. And at some point I asked uh, the, the people that be and said, hey, so what do you feel about opinion? And they said, well, what do you feel about opinion? I was like, well, I, I like writing my opinions into news stories. And then they were like, well, I'm not going to stop you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so that's a long way of saying that I really feel that there is a lot to be said for going out of your way to learning something and then paying it forward. Yeah. And I think that was the idea behind doing this article and saying, I have learned a lot by being a trained journalist, by working in television, being a journalist. I've seen tens of thousands of press releases over yeah. the years, but I've also been on the other side. I've run my own startups. I've gotten quite a lot of press coverage and I figured out how to do that. And in the process, I've kind of been jumping back and forth, learning more and more. And then when I was back in the journalist chair, I was just flabbergasted by how even professional PR people very frequently get stuff wrong. Yeah, yeah. You know, the amount of times I get a Word document sent to me, which I hate, with all the pictures embedded in the Word document. And I'm like, look, just, I don't even really want to, you get paid for this. Yeah, Why do you yeah, get yeah, paid yeah, for yeah, this? Yeah, Who yeah. is paying you? <laughs> the um, pictures thing, actually, go, let's go through a few. This is great because it's covering the pictures, but like a few of the things in, by the way, if you want me to... If you need this for a reference, go yeah, for it. Yeah, sure. But it had never... I'm totally like one of these startup founders. It had never occurred to me that I should be including pictures in an email to you about coverage. It just... I don't know I don't know why. As soon as I read that in the checklist, it made perfect sense. But, like, maybe talk about that. Like, and the, the embedding in the word thing, I could totally feel your frustration. Like, it's just... It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a, an obvious thing. It's not... You care about your story... And, I mean, the, the biggest problem that startup founders have is that they're too close to it. That is always true, right? Um, you feel like you don't have to tell the full story to yeah. an investor because yeah. somehow they're meant to have understood yeah. 
they don't recognize your genius like right away. Right, right. Um, <laughs> but pictures is kind of one of those big stumbling blocks, you know. Um, and it's one that we did wrong many times too, where I we commission a photographer to take really good product photos of our products to stick on a website. And then when a journalist asks, hey, have you got any pictures? Cool, yeah, we've got product photos. You send them through. But what you forget is that on most blog layouts, uh, photos on a white background just look terrible. So it just looks like it's floating in space. And so one of the tips on my list is try to have lifestyle pictures, which means show pictures of the product the way it's meant to be used. Now, if you have a product that needs to be used in a pure white room... If you have a product that needs to be used in a pure white room, you're doing it wrong, basically. So, you know, if it's it's an app, then don't send me a screenshot screenshot of the app. At least put it on a phone. And if you don't put it, or or, or even better... With someone holding it. With somebody holding it, using it the way they're meant to. You know, if you're doing a doctor's app, find a doctor's office somewhere where you're sitting there with, with the background, a doctor's office, because... You know exactly what's going to happen. If you send it to me with the deadline of tomorrow, I'm not going to sit around and wait for you to yeah. take new photos. Yeah. And so it makes a huge difference to, you know, from our point of view, when it gets tweeted out, if it has a photo, it gets tweeted out with a photo. Yeah, because you're, you're looking out articles, for the reader. The reader needs some context on this. The reader's yeah. just going to see this and they need to know how it's being used. And you're also trying to help them put their best foot forward. Like, Absolutely. this is the way the app or the device is going to look the best yeah, in a exactly. photo. Yeah. And I mean, it's one of those things where early today I had, a, had an email from somebody saying, oh, yeah, we've got this really cool product. Uh, and this is what it does, and this is what it is. And I was like, you know what? That is a really cool product. I'm excited for you. That's fantastic. But the link you sent me to the press release is almost two months old. And there is no way I'm going to cover that. And they're like, well, nobody else has covered it yet either. I was like, well, whose problem is that? Yeah. That is really not... I mean, if you have news, then make sure it gets in the journalist's hands on the day of the news release. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, I had a, I have had a couple of times where somebody sends me a press release uh, with the date of today, and I'm like... And I do a quick search, and it's been out there for months, and then just changed the oh, date. Oh, they changed! Oh my god! Which yeah. I mean, fair. I would do the same. Well, I would probably write a new press release, <laughs> but if I was lazy, I might try and get away with that. Yeah. And with some journalists, you might get away with that. At the heart of it, I'm doing a service for a reader, right? And I'm like, okay, you have a startup that you want covered. That is not why the reader is reading this. Yes, yes. The the readers might be investors. They might be people who are interested in startups in general. They might be. You know, there's lots of different reasons to read an article, but you feeling good about yourself isn't it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's what one of the things I liked on the checklist you talked about. I'm forgetting the exact words, but it was like, it needs to be interesting. It yeah. needs to be news. There needs to be a hook. And yeah. like people kind of forget that. And it, uh, a lot of it is it's too, cl- they're too close, right? They just yeah. live with this product. But yeah, you're looking out for the reader. You need to, you need to intuitively understand why the reader is going to read that story yeah. and you're helping them. Yeah. And it's like, okay, if my reader is... Well, it doesn't matter who the reader is. If it's not interesting, I'm not writing it. Yeah. And the thing is, I always describe my beats as sort of stuff I write about as hardware, uh, crowdfunding, but not crowdfunding projects. So crowdfunding as an industry and uh, quirky stuff. And quirky stuff is really, really broad because it covers all sorts of yeah. stuff. But that's fun, actually, because you yeah. have a lot of latitude. Yeah. And I mean, at TechCrunch, you kind of pick your own beats, so it doesn't really matter what you end up writing about. But I think quirky is important because it's... It's stuff that makes you go, hey, that's that's interesting for any yeah. reason, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm lucky in that in hardware and in crowdfunding, there's often a lot of quirky stories. Um, but it's, I mean, to me, it's just important that it's something that people can relate to. Yeah. And again, it's about storytelling, yeah. right? And 
all good storytellers have their audience in mind. And I feel like as a journalist, that's important. But as somebody sending me a press release, that's also important. Yeah. And I think that was one of the core ideas behind the, the, the checklist. You said it perfectly. Is there other, are there other things on the checklist that people can kind of improve upon or any, any little things that just drive you crazy sometimes? Well, I think the feeling of being too close to the startup um, is important. And I think even if you send your press release to a journalist who's covered your startup before, it is probably safe to assume that I don't remember you. Yeah, um, yeah. And so even just having a couple of paragraphs at the end about the startup saying, oh yeah, we start, we're based out of Boston. We were founded in 2012. We're funded by investor A and B. We've raised this much money. We have 10,000 customers in 20 countries and we're currently looking to raise another round yeah, funding. Yeah. That is, I wouldn't put any of that directly in the, in the, in the article, but you know, it makes me look really, really smart. Yeah. If I say, so, oh, did you know these guys have been around since 2012? And yeah. Did you know they're raising funding? And oh, as you know, because they also, they raised money from Bessemer who also invested in this, which is interesting because X, Y, Z. It just shortcuts that storytelling process for me. Yeah. And it makes sure that I don't make silly mistakes. Yeah. Um, I also like there's something in there about um, quotes, quotes yeah. from the CEO. Like, again, this is one of those things where I hadn't really thought about that. It was I'm so close. It's such an obvious thing. But like some actionable quotes that actually draw people into the story a little yeah. bit more. That's a really smart thing to include. And I think it's one of those things where as a journalist, when I get a press release I'm interested in, I should try and get a hold of the CEO, talk to them, uh, have a conversation back and forth, grill them about some of the points I'm not sure about get some quotes out of them essentially mm-hmm. that I can use in the article mm-hmm. and then write my article. Yeah. Uh, realistically, I don't have time. Um, I do that for some startups. I do that for startups that I care about particularly or where I feel there is something, a part of the story that isn't being told. Yeah. Or if I feel they're onto something really huge, like if I get a startup early on in their journey, I might make sure that I have a working relationship with the CEO because I know that when they become Facebook-sized, they'll remember me. Yep, and yep. I, So it's kind of a self-serving yeah, thing there. Yeah, yeah It's but, investing in the relationship. You right? Know? It's, yeah. it's, yeah. And, I mean, by including some quotes, you make it look as if I have spoken to you, which is a way to make me look good. Yes. And as a startup, if you... I mean, it's obviously not your job to make the journalist look good. But as a journalist, it's my, my job to make my publication look good. Yeah. And I think... It's about realizing who your audience is. And, I mean, people who include quotes, I don't think it really makes much of a difference as to whether or not they get coverage. You know, the the decision to cover the startup happens way before I see whether or not there are quotes. But it just, it makes it a lot easier for me to get something in the voice of that startup. That's what I was going to say. Or maybe you end up, you read the quotes and then you call the CEO and you're like, hey, you're on the right track here, but... Have you thought about saying it like this? Or this is how I see it. Would you agree? You know, like, yeah. it's not, I, I view it as like a tool or something to look at it. And it also, it kind of goes back to like your prior point about letting them, letting them tell it in their own voice. And maybe it's not a super formulaic, you know, uh, company summary. It's like, it, it allows their passion to come out, Yeah, for sure. which is what you want. You want to feel that passion. Yeah. yeah and I want to feel that people know who their customers are, yeah. that they know why they're solving this problem, why yeah. they've decided to invest some of their non-refundable time in this particular startup. Yeah. And I mean, the problem is with a lot of uh, press releases I get across my desk, 
I realize the CEO has never even seen this, right? This is the, the, the PR person who's made up this quote. But what ends up happening is that a really vapid, empty, oh. infuriating <laughs> quote. We go, oh, yes, we have created this really nice product, which is going to change the world. That marketing automation happens. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, yeah, but that exact quote you could drop into any number of uh, yeah. things, yeah. right? So it's more about the why now? Why this? Why you? Um, and I think... There's just a lot more color that can be added to a lot of yeah. stories by actually having some real opinion in there, yeah. right? I love the why now question, actually, because so there's so many good ideas that, for whatever reason, just don't work out because of timing. But like, that is a really good way of getting to the heart of like what the company's doing and why the CEO thinks it's going to be successful. Yeah. I actually ask that question all the time with our clients who are onboarding because I want to know... A, we want to invest our time in companies that are going to grow because they consume more services and help us grow. But it's also like we, we only have a finite amount of time, too. We want to work with, like, awesome companies. And that you can capture the CEO's passion very quickly when you ask them that kind of question. Yeah. That's cool. And I mean, um, it's all the standard questions, right? It's who, what, where, yeah. why, yeah. when. Um, but I think the why is really where the passion comes out. Yeah. You know, it's it's not about... I mean, I get a little press releases where I was like, oh, ex-Apple person does this. I'm like, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I really don't care. That's yeah. a, that, that only tells me one thing. At some point, they were employed by Apple. And at some point, for any reason, they left Apple. Yeah. That is not a story. Yeah. And, you know, it's not like Apple is a shortage of employees or Google, right? There is so many ex-Google, ex-Apple. And I understand that some press people get very, very excited about being able to say, oh, ex-Apple person does something. But it's just not... No, it doesn't mean that It's just not interesting. Yeah, and yeah. I think, you know, the the readers of TechCrunch and the readers in general know that. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it very rarely makes its way yeah. through. And if that becomes the thrust of your story, then it's like, well, you know, essentially what you're pitching as me is person worked for a famous company, person no longer works for a famous company, person does something new. I was like, well, that's not a story yeah. I can cover. Yeah. In any possible way. That's not that interesting. Now, if Zuckerberg leaves Facebook and starts something new, fine. <laughs> You'll but, make an exception. But we would cover that anyway. That yeah. is not something that a PR person yeah. has to pitch at me. Yeah. Dude, you, your passion for TechCrunch is, like, palpable. Like, it's clear you love working there and mm -hmm. you have a lot of respect. For, like, what, you know, you said at the top of the heap, but, like, what do you, what do you, now you worked on Insight, like, what do you love about it? You know, what's, what keeps drawing you to TechCrunch? I, I think, mean, you were willing to work for free there, for God's sake. Yeah, so, you know, no, what What did you see there? And, and that might have changed. I mean, that was a year ago. Like, you've now, you've met tons of people in the Valley, and you've written tons of articles. Like, yeah. But I can, I just see it in your face, like, how much you like working there. Yeah, for sure. Um, TechCrunch is weird. I mean, I'm in the office maybe every two months. Oh, wow. Uh, so I, super remote. Super, very but that's good. Ready. you got to be out meeting companies, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, and, I mean, I have a couple of pretty good friends there now who I hang out with on a social basis, but we very rarely talk about work. Uh, and they're just good people that I like hanging out with. The thing that draws me to... The reason I would, wanted to work for free, or I was willing to work for free, yeah. is access. Yeah. The fact that... If you say, hey, I'm higher, I am some random bloke writing something on Medium, nobody calls you back. Yeah. If you say, hey, I'm higher, I'm a writer for TechCrunch, that changes very quickly. Yep. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, kind of the same mechanic as me being a writer or being a driver for Uber, right? Except I'm able to select the people I want to talk to and they return my phone calls. Yeah. Um, so that was like the base level. But then it turned out that I'm actually really enjoying digging deep into startups and applying what I know about 
hardware startups, about uh, crowdfunding, yeah. about all these different aspects of running a business to a new flow of information from you know other companies I speak to, investors I speak to, uh, people, other people with opinions. Yeah. And then that kind of becomes a nice little pyramid of really interesting stuff. Yeah. And for me, that's now my milestone. I mean, I'm, as I mentioned before we started recording, um, I'm vaguely considering starting a new company and I have a couple of other uh, opportunities on my desk. Um, but the, the milestone becomes, okay, my quality of life now is really good. Yeah. I'm spending half my time writing for TechCrunch, a lot of time uh, just doing research and playing with my 3D printer and learning stuff and kind of... Um, becoming better at the stuff I want to be better at. I'm spending a tremendous amount of time reading um, and I really like my life right now. Yeah. And so if I were to start another startup, that is going to drastically change. Or if I take a job at like one of the big Silicon Valley companies, yeah. that will drastically change my life. Yeah. And I think the, the realistic choice for me is it's an opportunity cost thing, right? Yeah. Am I willing to go jump ship and work for a big corporate Am I willing to start my own thing? Or am I willing to take a punt on joining somebody else to start yeah. up? And so for the question, the, the answer has been no. If I didn't have something that I really like doing, I probably would have started something else yeah. by now. Yeah. Because, you know, I am, I am pathologically curious. Yeah. And I always keep chasing opportunities. That's basically the whole story of my life. You, uh, an interesting opportunity comes along. I start salivating like a little puppy <laughs> and I run after it. Um, so this is a good milestone. It's a good like mile marker. It's like okay, if I think if I leave this, leave this existence, and TechCrunch is part of that, but there's lots of other bits and pieces yeah. as well. If I leave this existence behind and I go do thing A, B, or C, six months from now, am I going to be happier or less happy? Yeah. And so far, it's always come out as less happy. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I understand the startup thing of running yourself ragged, but. I am privileged enough that I can start optimizing for happiness. Yeah. And I think that is a luxury I'd, I'd really rather not yeah. give up. Well, it's also like, you know, we before we turn the microphones on, we were talking about like it's a four or five, six, seven year commitment. And but I'm I'm highly confident that when that thing does come along, it will grab you and you'll be you'll be like that puppy salivating, right? And you're right. just gonna you're gonna lose all your self control and jump in. You just haven't you haven't found that I'm yet. Be myself a little yeah. Bit. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, the, the thing to me is Ultimately, if there is something that comes along that I can't not do... That's what it is. That's perfect. I will do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, But for now, I mean, I, I really enjoy what I'm doing. Yeah. And I really enjoy... Uh, I'm doing a lot of travel. I'm doing a lot of speaking. I'm doing You've written two of, books, for God's sakes, too. I've, I've I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, starting to, like, reevaluate what I do with my spare time. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have spare time. Well, that's the thing, right? And, and the... Um, agreement i have with my wife is that you know i don't work late that has been true in my entire startup life where i just i don't work later than six o'clock which means that i can get up early but i can't stop late yeah and so i have made that a rule. that's good and that yeah. means that if i want to do some reading if i want to do some experimenting if i want to pick up coding again and throw together a prototype i need to carve out a time before six o'clock because at six o'clock I make dinner. I work out of um, work out of the house a lot, and so you know, and, and I love cooking. So I do most of the cooking. 
But that means that at six o'clock, I need to be in the kitchen yeah. doing doing my cooking. <laughs> I, you know, I really like that. And I actually uh, behave the same way now, like in the last year. Because what, what I found was I didn't have any stoppers. And I was just, I was work, working myself ragged and losing productivity in the morning. So now I'm, I work a little bit later than six, but I do the same thing. And Vanessa and I go home, make dinner. We actually talk. We watch TV together. We read fun stuff and kind of recharge. And I just wake up early. I wake up at 6 a.m. You know, yeah. and I work out and I feel great. And then I go put it like an 11-hour day in or whatever it is but like that's that was my it actually really rejuvenated me taking that approach yeah, i respect sure. that yeah. and i mean i don't i'm not gonna lie whenever whenever my wife is traveling for work i will work around the clock yeah and i'm loving it yeah uh because it's kind of the i mean i guess that's a good sign that you've picked a job you really like yeah and by work in this case i mean not necessarily tech crunch not necessarily book writing but I can get my teeth into a big project. Again, yeah. Right. I'm I'm um, coding a new website, or I'm coding up a little prototype, yeah. or writing up yet another little Twitter bot, or working on a medium post I've been thinking on f- forever, and I will happily work many, many, many hours. Yeah. But I think that becomes, if that is a treat, it sounds insane. But if that is no, my special I mean, treat, we're wired to myself, the same way. We're totally right? wired the same way. That is a yeah. uh, that is. That is beautiful. It's and a I, gift. I'd yeah. like to try and keep it that way yeah. if I can. Yeah, that's amazing. You are an amazing guest. You're such a thoughtful person. Do you want to kind of just tell everyone where they can find you, where they can find the Medium Post? and? Yeah. So my name is Haya, H-A-J-E. And put that into Google and you'll find me. <laughs> um, Haya TechCrunch. You'll find Or Medium and they'll find you. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I actually ended up um, getting at Haya on Twitter by filing a trademark for my own name and then uh, going to Twitter and saying, somebody's infringing on my trademark. That's amazing. And they uh, and they were like, oh yeah, somebody is infringing yeah, on your trademark. Yeah. Here is at hire. <laughs> you know, there's a dude sitting on my last name, Orn, O-R-N. He's, he hasn't been active like in six years and I was like trying to get it. But then O-R-N looks a lot like Ohm. And I was like, oh, that guy, I'll get so many weird things. I'm just going to stay with, stay with me. Yeah, like, exactly. That's, that's really cool. He does. Okay. So everyone should check out this medium article. It's super helpful. It has a, the, I'm a huge checklist person. That's maybe that's why I love it so much, but it's, it's so good. And again, for like, I'm probably a good proxy for like a startup person who really loves what they're doing, but didn't think about all these details, like photos, like quotes, like making it, making, giving a hook, you know, all these like little things that are in this checklist. So I highly recommend it. I guess the only thing I should kind of caveat is that this is the way I like getting stuff. Uh, A lot of journalists are quite different. And um, I mean, even within TechCrunch, there are very differing, very big differences between how people prefer to get their, their press info. You know, there are people who would never even look at a press release who will only work on the back of, uh, personal relationships yeah. and personal interviews and there are others who um, prefer to take their own photos yeah. or whatever um, that said this was a very generous thing you did for the community and i i think it's I, a good i mean if you start with this and if you follow those rules nobody's going to yeah, complain right yeah. so it's great i think it's a it's a good starting point cool. for for kicking off your media journey yeah well hi thank you for coming on really appreciate it and thank you for uh, having me. and i'll you've been a pleasure it's an awesome awesome interview awesome all right buddy take care